This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You know, football's a tough game. Um, you know, and you have to find that, that right balance uh, between attacking and defending at the moment, we seem to have it um, very well. You know, we've we've scored some some good goals, but probably more pleasing for me is the the will to keep the ball out of the back of the net, and uh, you know, the, the desire from the whole team to to get back and defend when when we lost it. And you know, it, it's keeping that balance. Uh, you know, and if you've got that, then you've got a chance of winning football games. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's uh, called "My Old Man." McGinn early through, and Jack Grealish is there, and scores! It's a disastrous start for Fulham, a goal down inside four minutes, and Jack Grealish has his first Premier League goal of the season. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the Thomas Muller of Aston Villa podcasts. Joining me for... More discussion on this marvellous, unbeaten, unbeatable maybe, team, Mr Chris Budd. Hello. And welcome again to Mr Phil Shaw. Hello. We're, we're all in a bit of a state of shock uh, in a match club. Uh, aside from uh, beating Fulham 3-0, we're, we're in this weird position where we have a long unbeaten run that stretches back through cups, through friendlies, uh, through seasons. It you know, laps over two seasons now. And we're also, uh, we haven't conceded a goal in the league in our two games so far. We are 100% in the league as well. And we're also in the top four of the league, despite our belated start to the season. And uh, playing one less game than a lot of teams. Where, where do we start, Mr. Bird? It's almost like we're having to throw the rule book away of how to deal with Villa games and, and start a new one. I know we can't, we've got nothing to be cynical about. What the hell is going on? <laughs> no, not that we set up to be cynical. But it's great. It's great. You know, they're playing good football. There seems like there's a real positive momentum in the fan base and in the team and you've, you've 
You know, you're seeing a team that have, dare I say, been knocked into shape a little bit, which is great. You know, it's taken them a long time to do it, but it's good. Phil Shaw's always been a connoisseur of slick football. How, how does uh, what you saw uh, against Fulham level up to that on a, on a range of one to ten? On the sl- on the slickometer. On the slickometer. How far are we up the slickometer at the moment? Ooh, don't want to get too carried away. I mean, it's it's, it's a seven sliding and then eight, but it, it's good. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take a yeah, that's, twice. that's that's you know, there's always room for improvement then. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get into uh, Villa's situation and the last two games since last we spoke. A glorious cup win. I mean, that was that was eight on the slickometer. Uh, the way we disposed of Bristol. Oh, the Traore goal was a ten on the slickometer. Because I thought that was going to be a bit of a sticky uh, wicket that game, uh, especially when I saw the team sheet. But anyway, we'll talk about that later on. Coming up before, we'll go through uh, what's been happening uh, in Villa news. Also, three points. Again, we will quickly brush on the uh, the continue situation of football well, pretty much football below the uh, Premier League in, in light of the uh, increasing seriousness of the uh, Covid situation also uh, we'll quickly talk about this handball situation which I thought might have popped up in the Fulham game but we've managed to go another 90 minutes without uh, handball controversy which seems to be plaguing every other game and also we will uh, have a look at what Mr Gareth Barry is uh, currently up to as well. Coming up uh, at the end of the show in underrated and overrated or overrated uh, we look at mr neil cox and his uh, peculiar story and uh, also uh, the i don't know how to describe richard dunn polarizing uh, yeah he's his nickname the dunny monster oh yeah the honey monster the dunny monster yeah see if he was if he was down in australia that would have a totally different meaning wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> anyway we will we will talk about his time uh, and uh, we will accordingly rate them uh, right first of all uh, the villa news uh, ali samata left for fenner Bashi, I I thought somebody would have come in before he went, but uh, we're certainly in the position now of where we were last season, where Smith was saying, "Oh no, I'm happy with my options," and he's already suggesting uh, Traore can play down the middle as well, uh, which he can, and we all knew that. But it's like, yeah, I wouldn't be saying it just yet. Uh, I would be trying to get in another striker, which uh, I think he well will come on to that. But the funniest thing about Ali Samata leaving was uh, the Tanzanians weren't too happy, or they they proved their plasticness because uh, I think Villa started off the day uh, with 916,000 plus Instagram followers and uh, since he's uh, gone off to Turkey, they've lost 44,000 Instagram followers. Yeah, there's been an Insta exodus, hasn't there? Yeah, I didn't know. (laughs) I mean, uh, mean, I've written an article about this uh, in Venglos View and uh, joked about uh, Villa having to give uh, Elmo and uh, Trezeguet 10-year contracts with double the pay of uh, Jack Grealish (laughs) just to... uh, Keep the the Instagram numbers up. (laughs) Just to keep the whole social media numbers up because uh, that'd be like a black hole because you're looking at somebody like Trezeguet, who's got, I think, 4.6 million. And uh, anybody who uh, follows the uh, Aston Villa Facebook uh, page will know about our Egyptian friends and their worship of our favourite sons, as they like to call. uh, Meanwhile, Ollie Watkins has only got 52,000. You're thinking, he's a marquee (laughs) signing, man. We're going to need bigger engagement than that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I can't believe they... they Put, is it 28 million on somebody who's only got 50 and he didn't have that many when he signed 
Trezeguet, they, yeah, I can't believe they got him a chump change for Trezeguet when normally a player with that social media following would be like, you know, 100 million or something. Anyway, uh, watch out. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting, though. The the, the Egyptian boys have, have got like massive followings, bigger than the club across some, uh, well, Trezeguet trump, trumps the club in every aspect. And we forget about that. Grealish is, uh, I think, on Instagram at about 900,000. So he's, uh, he's not even a fourth of the man that Trezeguet is. I'm sure we'll find out whenever Jack hits a million. Somebody will yeah. tell us. I'm sure they will. Surely not. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, as I alluded to, Smith said uh, in the press conference before Fulham, uh, openly said the one more body in was was more than likely, and well, sorry, more than likely a striker. And they also they were also suggesting they were trying to hustle in a midfielder. Maybe it was the Loftus Cheek from Chelsea loan deal that's been mentioned. I mean, the Ross Barkley thing was seems so unlikely considering uh, his wages and also he's in match day squads and Chelsea are playing on you know several fronts. Oh, hi Ross, what are you doing here? Season long loan. Cool. Welcome to the villa. Also out uh, the last week, the third kit has finally uh, come out, which. Uh, had most people thinking it's some kind of uh, camouflage number, but it turned out to be a uh, map of the regions of Birmingham. I haven't had a chance to see if my region's in there. Are you represented, Mr. Bud? Not that I, not that I could see, but I don't mind. <laughs> Another kit that I'll add to the list of kits I won't be buying. <laughs> well, you're just a killjoy. <laughs> I think it's all right, actually, for a third kit. Yeah, uh, it actually know, looked the, quite I, good I, on the pitch. Yeah, it, it did actually. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the thing. I, I think the third kit you you should go for it. Yeah, and the shorts are a bit rascal though. To be fair, you kind of hold back your criticism if they really go for it. It's uh, you know, last season's third kit was better. Though, I would say I did like the green and red one. I thought that was a good statement kit. Well, other people don't like it. Other per- people prefer this. I mean, it's this is you know, it's all subjective. At the end of the day, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over uh, kit designs. But no, I think it's uh, it's been taken up pretty well, though. But we needed a lighter kit, to be honest, when we played teams in red, mm-hmm. because uh, the black and obviously the claret, you need you need some a bit of contrast, especially for those people in Northern Ireland with their black and white TVs as well. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right, Phil? <laughs> yes, I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why we have so many good snooker players. <laughs> Uh, uh, God bless Alex Higgins. I, I, he was one of my uh, childhood, uh, probably not the greatest uh, childhood uh, hero to have, but uh, considering he, w- he was always holding a pint and chain smoking cigarettes, but never mind. It's, well, it's just like the rest of us over here. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, uh, also uh, in the news, another young player is signed uh, from Feyenoord, Lamer Bogard. I think he's 16, isn't he? So there's there's been a few ins around uh, the kind of 16 year year old uh, age. Yeah, they've gone in a pretty aggressive strategy on that front. They're really obviously trying to overhaul the academy system and hopefully that'll bear fruit in, you know, 2 3 4 5 years. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting age to get players, especially if you're playing big money, because there's no real guarantees uh, at that age that a they might stick with it, but b also you know there's evolution, you know there's still uh, growth to uh, kick in, so you don't know if you get you know what the final player will look like physically in terms of uh, height and you know size, etc. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a development situation. What do you think they do? Do they get DNA? St- samples and they check the genes and stuff to see what's see what the end product's going to be like 
my father Lonely. just need to, yeah they just need to look at his uncle Winston Bogard as <laughs> <laughs> he spent like, was it four years on the bench at Chelsea and made about nine million quid for never playing rumor has it he used to he used to commute to training from Holland because he only used to train three times a week with the reserves where is he now no idea uh right let's get into the uh, the three points we've spoken about this a lot because obviously it's a big issue uh this week there's been uh, a letter sent uh, signed off by various people from the uh, EFL FA uh, football supporters association warning the government uh, about the potential collapse of the national league structure you know, even efl clubs uh, in the lower couple of divisions and how the face of football is in serious danger of completely changing obviously there's no chance of uh, supporters returning to uh, football anytime soon so gate receipts that uh, lower league clubs and grassroots clubs rely on are, are uh, at the moment uh, on ice so this is going to cause serious problems and there's there's kind of a twin twin uh, conversation here one is for the premier league to uh, drip some more money down and also for the government to do a bit of a handout for the uh, the lower echelons of the football league so we'll see what we, rather than discuss it now we'll see what happens uh, later on uh, this week and uh, it'll probably be a, a point for discussion next, for the next podcast number two it's kind of blown up this weekend uh, the, the whole handball situation which was in the three points when we alerted you that there would be a change at this season uh, the idea of uh, these rule tweak so to make it uh clean cut and dry but uh i mean you could pick many examples there have been so many handballs uh, over the the opening of this season which is uh you know barely two or three games deep but you know the eric dyer example in the spurs versus newcastle game where the ball hits him on the back of the arm he's not even facing uh, the way the ball's coming to him and that's given as a penalty and he knew nothing about it but the letter of the law says accidental it doesn't matter does it if it's below a certain line and that is body bizarre. shape is not normal, and then the other two or three uh, things it has to fit in. But that, that that wasn't a penalty, surely. I mean, obviously Mourinho was not happy about that. I mean, if, to be fair to him, you know, Bruce came out after the game and said, you know, we're going to get these decisions go forward against us through the season. So while we got away with one today, I completely accept that it's a it's a woeful rule and a crap decision. Yeah, especially when yeah. the referees gone and had a look at it on the monitor and hasn't actually shown any common sense, but. Of course, by the letter of the law, he has to give it. Yeah, as, as if there wasn't enough things about watching Villa that give me anxiety. There's now this foreboding handball rule that's come in. Um, I just I just sit now watching games, waiting for the, the one time that it flicks up and hits Mings or flicks up and hits Konza. I mean, m- my wife, she played hockey, at, you know, a reasonable standard, and she says it's just the, like the hockey rule. I mean, she says the longer she played, they, they actually stopped going for goal whenever they got near the net and just tried to flick it off, you know, hockey players' feet to get a penalty corner. You're going to get footballers doing that now, just going into the box and just flicking looking at it hands and things like that. I mean, you already yeah. saw that the Newcastle team were well-drilled and appealing every time Carroll got a flick that sort of hit a body of a Spurs player. Yeah, and, and Spurs, I think Match of the Day uh, did a cl- kind of an analysis of this where they all had their arms behind the back almost pretty much every time Newcastle approached the uh, the 18-yard box. Uh, they also put up some stats. I think last season, uh, in the first three weeks, there was eight penalties awarded in 30 games in that period and none were for handball. And we've had 20 26 
games in the first, this is before Villa played, uh, there was 20 penalties awarded in 26 games compared to eight in 30. And six of those were for handballs. So you can see the difference straight away. And, you know, last season, just to give you some context, because these rules, I think it's FIFA are behind this, aren't they? Because they're trying to make it uniform across the whole world. And last season, before uh, the Premier League was pulled in line with this FIFA orchestrated rule there was 19 handball penalties last season while in La Liga and Serie A La Liga 48 and Serie A 57 so there's a massive difference so it's going to uh, I think they're trying to make it more exciting so there's more goals as well but you just just get more bitterness and more pissed off players managers and supporters I think it just it pisses everyone off because everyone thinks it's a farce. Yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. But hopefully, uh, as Phil says, you just hope that Villa aren't uh, victims of it. Point number three, Mr. Gareth Barry, once of Aston Villa for almost, well, for a decade, is uh, is now playing club cricket in his retirement. Uh, Chris Budd, you know more about cricket. I do. Yeah, so, so Mr. Barry obviously retired this <laughs> no, summer <laughs> and um, and, cl- and clearly didn't want to go into, you know, he's, he's been quite open about the fact that he doesn't want to go into management or coaching right now. I think he just wants a break from the game, even though I think he, he sort of came out and said that he misses the, the training ground atmosphere more than the games and tr- trying to physically get through the games and stuff. So he basically he's gone back to his, his village where he lives called Temple Grafton and has started uh, started back playing cricket for the first time since he was young. So he's been going in at number five and uh, he's a first change bowler. So currently this summer he has a top score of 83 not out. So he's clearly a... a What's the level here? I mean, are we talking a proper serious level or is this just like hobbyist? No, it's it's the Cotswolds Hills uh, Cricket League. So it'll be kind of okay. I'd imagine it's a very twee league. It's not going to be like a county, you know, clubs level like Birmingham League or Yorkshire League but it'll be yeah. an, an okay standard of village cricket right well we uh, wish him all the best in, in that in pursuit. his new endeavours <laughs> nice part of the world to be though isn't it pissing around playing cricket in Temple Grafton very nice yeah I mean I'd rather be doing that than like let's say uh, coaching at West Brom or, or something like that or we're having to work your way up from the lower leagues yeah before we move on I just want to say a big thank you as per usual to all of my old man said patrons thank you very much for supporting the show signing up since we last uh, announced them thank you very much to uh, Peter Consagra Russ Dukes welcome back to Mr David Waldron thanks to and he calls himself Beef Fried Rice. We'll go with that. I, I didn't know if that was a reference to anything we've done, but uh, we'll live and live and learn. Uh, David, with that surname, uh, David Schilling, Frank Varty, Chris Lee, Corbin Conover, David Grimmett, Chris Parker, Russell Brandruff, and Ben Borton White. Right, thank you uh, for signing up. Uh, my old man said patrons get access to uh, extra shows and also entrance to Match Club, which we are running uh, every game Villa play at the moment. It's our little uh, secret members club. So uh, if you want to get access to that, do support the show and sign up as a patron. Thank you very much. You can also, if you pay for an annual subscription and say 15%, which is uh, roughly two months. So go to the com website and click on the patron link for more details there. Thank you very much. Right, on to the uh, main uh, discussion, which uh, is pretty much around Villa's early form and uh, how things are going. It's a bit too early to uh, read too much into things. 
since we've played two cup games and had two, let's say, I mean, we played 10 men, Sheffield United, so you can chalk that off as a uh, opportunity, shall we say. And Fulham, uh, we went there, I think most of us went there confident that uh, they weren't looking so hot, while we seemed to be a bit more resolute and uh, potentially uh, that this was a great chance to uh, register three points away, which uh, last season was a bit of a, uh, a rarity. So we beat them 3-0. What do you put that down to, Chris? I think the two early goals sparked the fire, but it was the way we scored them uh, was the most pleasing thing. And I think that kind of gave everybody a spring in their step. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that to, to start so quickly, I think generally we've seen with Villa, if they start well, especially since the, rest- yeah, the, the, the restart period after COVID, if we started well, we generally could push on. Which when we get that confidence, and I think you know the the second Grealish's goal, goal um, fourth fourth minute was it not? Yeah, something like that. Scoring the first five or six minutes, you think you know it's a great move, a really good ball with from uh, you know McGinn, a really clever run from Grealish, and a, a really composed finish. And it's great to see Grealish playing like a proper ten, you know, driving past the striker getting in the box, which I'm sure Smith will be happy with. And then the second goal was a brilliant move. I mean, in match club, the phrase slick was thrown around quite a bit. And it was, it was a great move out on the touchline, worked away into the box, um, Grealish to McGinn and then a little layoff. And then really Horahan couldn't miss. It was a, a great team goal again. And then obviously Watkins had the header, which he should have buried and there were other chances. So Villa were looking really, really good in the first half. We could have, you know, we could have had it home and dry by half time, really. Um, yeah. But I think it was just they they got going, and I think they saw very quickly that Fulham were there for the taking at the back. And we realised, certainly I realised, watching this, that I had fears before the season that they were poorly prepared for the Premier League. And I stand by that statement. They just don't look Premier League ready at the moment. Even You're though, talking Fulham, yeah, they're just not. They just lack that kind of you know like that that sort of the spark that a newly promoted team must have or like an organization or a fight well, they're lacking or, leaders i think yeah, especially they're just I mean, any kind of edge was you know you look at someone like leeds or even to a certain extent when we first came up at least we had enthusiasm and and were sort of going for it fulham don't even really go for it yeah, Tony Khan was on about uh, how they, he's been looking after, you know, looking to get centre backs in since they won the playoffs, and uh, loads of excuses about COVID. And uh, yeah, I mean, their defence was bloody awful, wasn't it? I mean, the the third goal sums it up. I mean, it's atrocious defending. But I think it's going to be a bit hard for them to get these bodies in that they need uh, before the deadline. But now they've gone three games and they've been beaten. Then they don't look very attractive now. They can't, you know, they can't lie their way and say, "Yeah, well, well, you know, we're going to take this league by storm," blah blah blah. Because people look at them and go, "Well, I don't know if I want to move to them because they're going to get relegated, are they?" So maybe a few mercenaries will go there. But anyway, enough for them. Uh, Phil, uh, distinctly better performance by Mister McGinn. Yeah, it was it was a really good performance by John McGinn. I mean. The word used was efficiency. He had he, his touches for the whole game were only in the thirties yet. Um, he, he really looked up for it. I mean, the the, the highlight really has been going round of his Zidane esque sort of pirouette in the yeah. in the first half, but the old the old double drag back. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half, I mean, he flung himself in the tackle against Joe Bryan. I mean, it, it was a foul in the end, but I mean, that level of sort of desire and you know the speed that he went, uh, he ran across her to close it down. I mean, that's what's been missing from his game. I mean, some might say that's what got him injured against Southampton last year, but at the same, if if he's getting back to those levels. You know, it's only a good thing for us. But a, a lovely ball to uh, Grealish for the opener. Mm-hmm. Fantastic that's, ball, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And he, could, I think, and, and, and I think he could have, he could have scored mm-hmm. himself, couldn't he? You know, I think he he burst through from midfield in the second half, had a good chance. The keeper saves it well with his feet, but he's just you can see him getting up ahead of steam now, which is can, you know can only be a good thing for the, the players around him. Because last season everybody was was expecting, you know, we were, were struggling, you know, around winter time, uh, and everybody's thinking, well, McGinn's coming back in March, and uh, you know, it's going to be a game changer, but then. When the lockdown happened, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, McGinn's going to have that extra time to uh, actually get up to proper fitness and recover from the injury. So, you know, he's not being rushed back, but he he was a shadow of himself in that lockdown period. So to get him to anywhere near up to uh, where we see him would will will be a big bonus going forward this season. Hurihan. Yeah, he does does what he does. One goal, one one goal, one assist. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, let's say reading the game a bit better this time. I mean, his the goals, you know, summed it up. It's some great inter interplay, but he got in the right position and people are looking at him still as a weakness in this midfield. So, you can't really complain with his performance against Fulham. Well, he, he makes things happen, doesn't he? It was it's, it was always the thing where you could say at him in previous years. You know, you, there are certain parts of his game that people would like him to have that maybe he just doesn't without the ball. But in terms of set pieces and just end product, he does deliver. And, and you notice, you know, the, the stats kind of speak for themselves when he's not in the team. But I th- I'm thinking more like... Um... You've got you've got to get a, this midfield to be a lot more dynamic. So you need McGinn to uh, start playing uh, at, at a you know higher level, but you need also Horahan because the more pressure you take off Grealish, Watkins has certainly started to do that as well. Yeah. But the more questions you're you're posing to the opposition, they're not just teaming up on you know two three players on Grealish. They can't do that anymore because they've got other threats to deal with. And and Horahan can be one of those threats if he keeps mobile and uh, they attack as a unit rather than just giving it to Grealish and seeing what he can do. I'd agree with that. Uh, Horahan's actually the player that I would want the opposition to forget about. So if Grealish takes two or Traore takes two or Watkins takes two, you want Connor to be the one free because he knows when to shoot. He knows when to, to throw the cross and put it in the mixer, as we say. But you know, I think he needs to play with a bit more swagger. I mean, he's came up from the, the lower leagues and he needs to, He is a Premier League player now. I mean, some people might not think he is, but he needs to start playing like one. And, you know, like like I, I belong here, you know, take a bit more responsibility, have a few yeah. more shots and things. Don't always be looking for Jack. Don't always be looking um, for, for him again. You know, you're in their level, maybe not in some people's eyes, but you're in the same team. So you know, start having shots, start producing. Yeah, I, I think mentally he needs to be a bit, you know, even a bit more cocky, a bit more confident and cocky. Uh, and I think that added swagger would improve him as a player for sure. Because I think... I think he's got, you know, technically he's got uh, more in his locker. But the big thing about, you know, Grealish, if if Watkins is making runs, if uh, McGinn's being clever and, and Horahan's joining in the fray, when Grealish is drawing two or three and he's got, he's suddenly got options to play to and those two or three he's drawing is opening up, up space for his teammates rather than him just getting swamped by three and having no no options to release that ball and he just ends up in a cul-de-sac and this is what we saw against Fulham we were attacking as more as a wave with Grealish drawing players up because other players were in space so it was more effective I and mean, a couple of our best moments in the game were really when Grealish would pick the ball up on the on the touchline spin away from their the opposition player and he and he's running into open ground 
And that's where Grealish is at his best. And that's what that's the Grealish we all know we love to watch and see because that's when he's exciting, when he's driving at a back four. And then if he's got the runners coming off him, like, you know, I thought Trezeguet put in a fantastic shift and was a more than willing runner for most of the game. I don't think he necessarily yeah. got the rewards, but I think he put in a great shift. I thought Watkins, again, he's a willing runner. He's a great outlet for Jack. And he's very clever in his distribution. Um, you know, he's hold up play. I think he was unlucky not to get a goal again tonight. You know, he could have had a hat trick at Bristol, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Jack just, you know, the, the more options he has, you know, once Traore gets up to speed, I'm sure he's going to be an option. And, you know, the, the more tools we have at our disposal to be able to tweak how we, how and when we attack teams and, you know, against Bristol and, and uh, you know, at Craven Cottage, you saw a Villa team for the first time in a long time starting to look pretty deadly on the counter-attack. Yeah. And that can only be a good thing as well, because we said last season so many times that we only had one way of playing. Well, now we've got a few ways of playing. And the fact that we've sort of shored up the defence means we can now concentrate on turning defence into attack more fluidly. what Watkins is almost a one-man uh, counter-attacking team, and this is a thing. Uh, I mean, there was one incident where Martinez kind of launched it up to him, and off he went against their back three, and and he actually won the header, but he, he headed it back because there was obviously nobody uh, beside him, and there was nobody, no Villa shirt there, so they need to uh, they need to get to him quicker to actually form a more constructive counter-attack. I thought Trezeguet uh, almost had a extra yard of pace from somewhere because he was he kind of tormented them I mean, when he was running when he switched to the left and kind of cut in you, you know he looked pretty dangerous he's very quick isn't he over the ground he's like almost deceivingly so I mean, you never really notice it as much in the ground when he's got the ball at his feet but in terms of just straight line speed he is actually very fast yeah, yeah and he, he was putting plenty of tackles in as well and especially in the second half I mean maybe maybe it's the benefit of having you know a, a full pre-season and maybe the I mean, the pressure that was on most of the players last season from about Christmas on, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was hard for them to sort of let go. Now many of them are playing with no pressure at all and you're seeing it, it's great. Yeah, I mean, you see with Trezeguet, the, the rewards of, I mean, I don't know if, you know, for the, for the listeners who follow him on social media, the videos he was putting up, as soon as we went into lockdown, he was doing extra work and fitness work. And I think he's he's fitter, he's stronger, he's sort of mentally sharper. I think he's probably settled in the city and he's happy here now. I'm sure he's improved with things like the language and the culture, which can only help. And as Phil said, you know, culture. the culture. <laughs> yeah. And um, But you saw across the whole team, as well as him, that they've got that little bit of snap in their play now to kind of... You know, you thought, I thought he, uh, you know, Trezeguet put in some great tackles. I thought Matty Cash put in three or four absolutely crunching tackles. You know, McGinn looked back to his usual, like, gritty self. I thought that all the guys along the back line, you know, were willing to put their body on the line. Louise did it numerous times. Grealish did it as well. They all look a committed team and look fitter, which can only be a good thing moving forward. Yeah, Grealish was one of his better games in terms of getting back because he was uh, helping Target out, who was was struggling at times there. But I think ultimately the best performance was probably, uh, in terms of defensive uh, matters, was uh, Konza was, uh, you know, he He had to uh, man-mark Mitrovic. And you thought that most people were saying it would be interesting Interesting to see Mings versus Mitrovic, but it was actually Konza uh, with the job, and it was an interesting test because people, you know, say about Konza, oh yeah, he could be like the ball playing, you know, Rio Ferdinand. But half of you is thinking, but can he play against, you know, the tough, rough, traditional number nine? And uh, he was more, you know, more of a match uh, for Mitrovic, and that, you know, it was a pretty impressive performance and ticked a lot of boxes in terms of him being, uh, you know, a proper partner for Mings and that being a solid uh, defensive back four. 
I thought the back four put in an, another good shift. You know, they were putting in great performances towards the end of last season. I thought the guys who've come in in the cup games so far as well and replaced them, bar a couple of wobbly moments at Burton, have looked pretty good. Um, and I think Mings and Konza are going to take some dislodging, you know, when Engels is back from fitness and Hawes, who is very much, I think, the backup at the minute. But those two look like a really good partnership and they've got all the, the attributes that you're looking for. You can understand why Cash converted to a fullback just based yes. on that performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's mobile, isn't he? And he's, he's willing and he doesn't give up. He's got that real, as I said, that real snap in his tackle. He's got a really nasty side, which I'm really impressed by. And I think he's probably got more that he can offer going forward. I think that will come as the yeah, as, we as he seen get, that, yeah, yeah as as we kind of get the games. And he, put, he did put in a couple of cracking crosses. Actually, he did it in the Sheffield United game. Actually, his delivery is very good when he gets into those positions. And I actually thought, as much as Target probably had a quite a difficult first half because um, he was clearly targeted by them, I actually think he stuck to his task really well because they were isolating him one on one every time when Grealish would push forward. It, it would leave Target with with their guy one on one running at him, and they were getting balls into the box. But I thought he stuck to the task really well in the second half and actually realised he couldn't bomb on. Phil, impressions of Cash? What you notice about Cash is it's his positional sense. He has a really good reading of the game when the ball's coming across to the back post. We all like Freddie Gilbert, but a few times last season, he was caught out, you know, ball watching at the back post. Cash is is very alive at the back post. He he tucks in tight to the centre half if they're going to miss it. And you've seen one in the second half. I mean, it was hearts and mouth at the minute because you thought he headed it into his own net but he, he knew what he was doing there he just couldn't let the ball go, go behind him so he, he's always alive at the back post whenever previously you know I think back to that City game De Bruyne's goal the whole way across the, the back line and then just tapped in at the back yeah. um, hopefully that's not going to happen this season Yeah and the boys collectively uh, it was their first clean sheet registered for the first time in their last 27 away Premier League games since the uh, zero sorry since the nil-nil draw with the baggies uh, back in January 2016 Well it's the first time we've won our first uh, two league games what was it it's this century the last time we did it was in 1999 which is mad to think Yeah also two clean sheets uh, best defence are we not is anybody else We are yeah. Cons- Martinez uh, is the only keeper yet to concede which is completely bizarre considering we were the second worst uh, in terms of shipping goals last season yeah. which goes to show that whatever they did in lockdown uh, I mean they spoke quite a lot uh, Smith did about uh, the reorganisation of the defence I mean you know Terry had to chip in uh, and uh, I'm presuming that he was uh, in a big part of it but you know all these zoom calls etc but they've changed the second worst defense into a it's a bit of a joss joss's giants uh moment uh second worst defense into currently uh the top defense although we'll see how it fares against liverpool in the upcoming game but at the end of the day it, it was when you looked at those two fixtures at the start of the season you thought right if we are talking serious evolution of aston villa and we saw the defence had tightened up and you, you're thinking, well, you know, Watkins coming in, considering uh, how poor we were up front with in terms of legitimate striking threats, this could be a proper improvement. And uh, the first test was to win those first two league games against two teams that we would consider winnable. And, and we've done that, in, you know, with flying colours. So October now looks uh, like it's going to be pretty interesting. We have Liverpool, Leeds, Leicester, Southampton. And I think after that month, uh, we'll have a good in indication of uh, you know where we'll be this season I think the game against Fulham was probably an important game because you, you could undo all the good work from the Sheffield United game if you didn't beat Fulham I mean it's nice to get a bit of revenge on them as well I'm petty like that I'm, I remember the pain of the playoff <laughs> final and even the FA Cup tie last year I mean the, the playoff final I, I was in a charity cycle I remember watching it in the bar 
um, just you know on the border and in, in between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And of course, you're sitting in the bar and what walks in, but four Fulham fans, even there, and uh, it was just, it was a bad day. So they can stick it to them. But we, but we, you know, we, you know, we get into a situation where if, uh, uh, Fulham look at Villa as a team they should beat. And uh, we, sorry, but I don't want to live in a world where that's uh, a reality. Nah, can't be a thing. <laughs> exactly. So you it's know? about time we started, uh, you know, getting back to uh, where we used to be. Well, it's great to see Villa, and it's you know whether it's Fulham or Sheffield United, whoever it may be, it's good to see Villa just starting to sort of slap teams around a little bit. Because I mean, three nil. I think there are. A few Villa fans thinking, "Come on, now we've got to go and stick the knife into these, and let's absolutely rip these fuckers to pieces." And that's what I want to see Villa doing, man. I want to just you know, stick their face in the dirt and kick them when they're down. Uh, anyway, sorry about that, Fulham fans. We don't like you. It's as simple as that. You're a bunch of squares. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Anything else from that game quickly? I thought it was you know, a, a nice moment, obviously, for for young Ramsey to get his Premier League debut. You know, he really impressed at Bristol, which, as I said, we'll, we'll move on to next. But great to see him you know, involved in the match day squad. I think he's deserved that over Lansbury. And you know, long may his de- development continue this season, really. Yeah, I mean, you, ju- I mean, just that ball he delivered uh, to Traore, the composure and just the, he, he has a bit, I mean, we were mentioning uh, Conor Horahan, but Ramsey seems to have a bit of swagger that a lot of these youth players don't come to the table with because they're you know they're still trying to get that confidence and uh, you know earn their spurs but Ramsey looked you know you you would never know that he was uh, coming in from the academy in that game against Bristol City I mean we we won't dwell on the game too much uh, but that was probably the best football we've played I thought uh, up until this Fulham game and uh, in terms of dominating a team you know we we dominated that game more than the Fulham performance well we we, we went into that one didn't we when you you see the team sheet and you're sort of looking down they go hang on a minute is Elmo playing centre back this could be interesting and he actually had a really good game and it was good to see sort of Gilbert back and you know wholesale changes but you thought well Bristol have won the last four they're going to be bang up for put, dumping Villa out of the cup here and I'm sure there'll be, there would have been a few pundits expecting potentially a, uh, a cup shock but Villa was so professional in the way they dispatched them I mean it could have been four five six very easily I mean some of the chances yeah. we missed in the second half 
Watkins could have had a hat-trick in about 10 minutes. Um, But three absolutely superbly crafted and executed goals, weren't they? The El Ghazi one's great work by Davis. El Ghazi can't miss, but he still puts it away. It's a great first. The Traore goal is just first class. You know, it's a great bit of play by Ramsey. Takes the ball on a half turn, spins, looks up, picks the pass really well, and then Traore's finish is sublime. And then the third goal is my favourite. The you know what we talked about earlier with Watkins. You know, picks the ball up on the halfway line with his back to goal, turns, carries it, releases it. They're on the break. Great ball in, and then he just and he buries it. You know, it's a chance he would expect to score, but he did. And you you know you can't argue with. Any of those goals, they were really well executed, really well finished, thoroughly professional performance by ultimately a second string side. The headline thing is is how we're now creating and scoring goals in open play because yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean before the uh, the F- Fulham game, I think in the league, it, seven out of our last nine goals are all from set pieces. So uh, we're actually you know there's a bit of glitter in that the football that we're playing now. To quote Ron Atkinson, and this is the main uh, thing I'm kind of excited about. I wanted you know I want to see more link-up play and being quicker in the transition and uh, just being smarter and, you know, I was going to say the kind of stuff that you pay your money for, but we, we don't go and watch this now. But uh, if we're going to watch this, these TV spectacles, you know, you want to you want to be watching uh, football in its, in its finest, not just relying on set pieces and grealish fouls. Well, we've said numerous times, haven't we, David, on these, on our podcasts that you, you just want to see your team being proactive now, it doesn't always have to be sort of tick-attacker bollocks like Man City do that, as we saw... Tick-attacker bollocks. It's, it's like you don't have to overplay. I mean, you know, we've seen in the last two seasons that, that you know, the pep way of playing can work, but now you see the clock way of playing that is all action, more like total football, where they can rip a team to pieces on the break or they can pass them into submission or they can play long and be direct if they need to. They can beat you in multiple ways, and I think that's a far more exciting prospect than just watching a team have 70-80% of the possession and knock it around. Also, we're, you know, across the Cup and League game so far, our centre-backs are popping up and scoring as well, which uh, is vital. Absolutely. For, um, Absolutely. Most good teams have uh, everybody chips in and centre-backs always uh, coming in, and we needed that threat. And Mings, you know, he, he should be scoring more goals. I mean, he should be getting like five or six a season. Yeah, it was a well-timed run and everything. He, he just got enough of a, a contact in the ball to put it past the, the film keeper, which whatever he was doing. I think I think Mings and um, Mings and Conza's performances, I think, will be improved as well by having you know Martinez behind them because they'll feel confident now with the guy between the posts. Although you say that, let's go back to the Fulham game and uh, the VAR moment, which saved us. You could argue, I mean, Mings goes for the a ball's played in, Mings goes for it, and it and he misjudges it and. Martinez is kind of surprised the ball comes to him because he, he's thinking that Mings has got this. That's why he spills it. He could argue that he should have caught that anyway, but he uh, he can understand why he spilled it because it was a bit of an element of surprise there. I think he kind of switched off, not not as in switching off, but you know he's kind of relaxing, thinking that's Mings's ball, and then he spills it, comes back. It's in in the back of the net, but in the lead up to that, Konza uh, is fouled by Mitrovic, and uh, that's this is VAR working well I think where the VAR guy is checking it and you can see the lead up to the play and and it didn't take that long did it it wasn't like crazy it wasn't too bad to be fair but uh, this is where it comes in well because yes Konza may have got to that ball before uh, the guy who's put it in the net but uh, no complaints with it I mean we've we've seen some crazy VAR shit I mean some of the games uh, before the Villa game against Fulham where you know the game 
carries on for three minutes and then it's it's pulled back it, it's you know it's still ridiculous in its execution but at least in that example uh and it's you know it spared martinez blushes big time because we'll now forget about that mistake because it didn't actually lead to anything but uh, at least far was actually doing its job there and he made amends with an absolutely brilliant save from uh it was bryant wasn't it later in the game and he tips it onto the the crossbar yeah and he's you know his distribution is very good as well yeah. so far Right, let's wrap up with uh, another episode of Underrated or Overrated. Right, this is the section where we look back in recent history to reevaluate uh, a couple of uh, ex-filler players and see if our memories have warped uh, over the years or if uh, the mythology has uh, twisted what we thought of them at the time. Uh, the first one up, uh, I think we'll go with uh, Mr. Cox on this one, Neil Cox. Bit of a utility player, slotted in at right back. Uh, why did we get him, uh, Mr. Bud? Well, we, I think it was, a, was this a Joe Venglos signing i think it was it was about four hundred thousand from scunthorpe with the nice added bonus that we uh yeah the reason why we bought him because we needed to shift two thousand blue (laughs) sky blue seats seats that doug alice had spare Um, it's like oh hang on a minute scunthorpe they play in the same colors yeah (laughs) and apparently they're still there today is it uh, is it um, Glanford Park, their player. I think it's Glanford Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunny Scunny. Uh, yeah. Being from Lincoln, they're one of our rivals. Yeah, uh, we don't like you go them. to the seaside and never see the sea. Yeah, but yeah, he was brought in as a kind of, as you said, a utility play. You know, he could play as centre back or a right back, which was very predominantly played for Villa. He could also play in sort of midfield if they needed him to. Um, and he was even found in goal for one, you know, a couple of when? times for Villa. Apparently, well, Nigel Spink got in, uh, went off injured again in the ninety three ninety four season and. Villarud, uh this was back when it was just three subs, and I believe uh, yeah, I remember him once. I yeah. remember him once, but I didn't know it was twice. And I think he uh, he he came off the bench because we didn't take a, a goalkeeper sub that game for whatever reason. Uh, so Cox played in goal. I think we got battered, you know, three or four one that day. But you know, he, he could do multiple things. I'm sure that was probably his you know, his versatility might have been his downfall later on. But yeah, he was brought in as a. It was like a bit of, not a wonder kid, but he was a really promising, very young player. At, you know, a low division club, but a little bit in the same mould, I'd imagine, as like uh, like when we bought James Bree or someone cut from that kind of mould. But he was, I mean, I remember him as, you uh, got to the stage where he, you know, he, he did a job. It wasn't as if, uh, I mean, he, he's one of your squad players. I don't think he ever uh, elevated above that. But for example, you know, when he came on in the, uh, the cup final, but when... Uh, you know, Staunton was, I mean, he went into that game with an injury, uh, Steve Staunton. So when he eventually came off, it, it's not as if suddenly, you know, you, you're kind of panicking that much. I mean, he, you know, he did all right, actually, Cox against United. Well, it was backs to the wall, wasn't it, when he came on? Yeah. Bit of a Courtney Hall, when he came on in the playoff final, same sort of yeah, scenario. Yeah, very similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, how many games did he play for Villa? I can't remember. About 50 and scored a couple of, scored a couple of goals. And he, of course, uh, he, he went to, uh, I think he got, Brian Robson tapped him up when we played uh, played United, and because uh, Brian Robson went on to be a Middlesbrough manager, and he uh, when he took that job, he uh, he dropped uh, Cox a line, and uh, Neil Cox uh, joined Middlesbrough before it became fashionable for Villa players to join Middlesbrough. So he, you know, potentially he is the uh, the Godfather, the Godfather is that right? The Godfather of Villaborough phenomena. 
Well, he was the, he was Borough's mm-hmm. first million pound player, believe it or not. He went there because he was a massive Man United fan and obviously yeah. wanted to work with Brian Robson. Was he a million? Did we sell him for a million? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he doubled our money on him. Yeah, it's a good bit of business. Any outstanding memories uh, of Mr. Cox? My outstanding memory of him, other than him being the, the sticker I had most of him, a Panini album, I had about, <laughs> I had about 100 Neil Coxes. Um, he's, he scored against us for Bolton whenever we had a very good team in 98. Um, he had a shot, hit the post, hit Bosnich in the back of the head and went in. That was when yeah, Bolton it was, some, a volley, somehow, it was a volley, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, somehow beat us at home with one of our best ever teams. But yeah, that was the, the memory I have him. All, all those stickers are probably somewhere still. Yeah, I, remember he, um, I remember he scored against Everton in the year we were uh, we were trying we were chasing down United for the, the first Premier League title. And he sort of somehow managed to find himself on the edge of the penalty area, cut inside and smack one in the bottom corner. That was a really good goal. And then I remember him scoring a consolation at Old Trafford the following season. I think we were 3-0 down at the time and he, you know, he got the consolation in that one. But not a huge amount of memories. He was a player I didn't see a lot of um, just because it was quite early on in my Villa supporting life. Your Villa Villa supporting career. I mean, the, the, just to bring uh, Cox to a close, I mean, uh, last seen, he's actually the manager of Scunthorpe United. So this story actually turns full circle. So he's now managing at a club where his transfer actually uh, got them 2,000 sky blue seats, which is a kind of bizarre... Uh, but not bizarre. It's quite quite a nice uh, ending to the tale, actually. I'd, I'd almost give him underrated just for that. Well, that's a great practical piece of business, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a real lasting legacy. You know, those plastic seats are non-biodegradable. They're going to last a heck of a lot longer than an overpaid footballer. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's got a cause to uh, get that stand named after him since uh, 2000, the seats. The Neil, are Cox, all down. the Neil Cox seats stand. <laughs> yeah. Right, anyway, underrated or overrated, Neil Cox? Phil's going first. Yeah, I'm going go, <laughs> to go underrated because, you know, I, I can't think of anything really he did wrong when he played for us. And we did manage to sell him for a profit as well. So I have no complaints. Yeah, I I think that. I think the fact that when he arrived at Villa, and especially when Big Ron came in, we had such a bloody big squad. And then he brought in Earl Barrett that he slipped down the pecking order, not really through any fault of his own. Um, he just wasn't given the opportunities to shine. But, you know, he was an England under-21 international and he went on and had a, a sort of solid, if not spectacular career. The fact that we made, you know, we doubled our money on him would be considered a really good piece of business. We've spoken about this before. Uh, you, you look at that 1994 team that went to the final and beat Manchester United because the fact that Neil Cox and Graham Fenton picked up Cup winners medals shows you that outside that kind of first 11 I know Fenton started that game but you know let's say he, he, you wouldn't consider him for that 93-94 team was one of the first 11 but the fact that those two players that most Villa supporters would have kind of forgotten as uh, real entities picked up a winner's medal uh, says something A about that team just being a good first 11 because we look at now our squad we've got all these you know players that are squad filler really and uh, arguably uh, Fenton and Cox aren't as good as them well, it's funny, isn't it, with the final, when you look at the, you know, who was on the bench for that game and you think that you had Neil Cox on the bench over guys like Dwight York and Gary Parker and people like that, you know, who didn't even make the, squ- you know, the squad for that game. It shows that Atkinson and Venglos, they must have really sort of um, rated his versatility. And at that point in the days of three subs, you probably needed versatile subs who could yeah. play in a number of positions. So actually, it's probably why he found, found himself on the bench a lot because he was a good option to have around. 
the Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll go uh, underrated for that as well because uh, there's no mud on him. There's no shit on him. <laughs> <laughs> so the manager of Scunthorpe United is uh, underrated. Right then, something a bit more controversial. Uh, Mr. Richard Dunn, a defender that I wasn't a big fan of before we got him because he was just too mistake-prone, especially when it came down to end goals. So why did we buy him? Was we had to buy him because um, Martin Larson <laughs> got Martin Larson injured. Surprise, surprise. And Surely not. Curtis, uh, and then Curtis Davis, who at the time was a, a competent centre back, he was injured as well. So Martin O'Neill, being ever the future planner, was left with just Carlos Cuellar as a fit centre back, um, with about a couple of days left of the transfer window. So somehow he managed to sign James Collins and Richard Dunn on the same day. Because he did really go for basically rebuilding the back the back line, didn't he? Yeah, it it was a it was a it was a change in era. If only would have had maybe a young centre back like Gary Cahill or something to, still around that we could have slotted in, but no. Who? <laughs> yes, yeah, someone who someone who knew the club really well and had a really bright prospects. If only. Yeah, Dunn was. Uh... What's the word for Richard Dunn? I mean, he became, it was a bit like, in some respects, like the, the David James signing where you thought, oh, God, what are we signing him for? He's, you know, he's calamity. And, and Richard Dunn was a calamity uh, also in his position. But then put in a good, you know, had a good season, but more than one season, but performed well. And uh, before he made any mistakes or scored, scored any own goals, uh, you know, the, the kind of tropes that people would identify him with, uh, he actually was pretty decent uh, and kind of won a many fan over. Yeah, that first season he was great, wasn't he? Was it 9 10 he made the uh, Premier League team of the season that year? Yeah. And he was one of the, he was just like a battering ram at set pieces as well. He could he'd get him and Collins were very good from set pieces. Obviously, we had you know the likes of Young and Downing etc. Delivering high quality crosses in at that point in time. But in terms of a defender, you know, he played in the uh, you know the, the infamous Carling Cup final where we lost to Man U, and you know he got outpaced by a Michael Owen with one hamstring. And I just I just remember Dunners having the like the turning circle of a ship. <laughs> What a Titanic. Yeah, he was just, you know, he's a good, I suppose you'd class him as an, a typically old-fashioned British d- defender. You know, that kind of real... Um, well, he might look more like Sunday League uh, when you looked at him. Yeah, he's just, he wasn't, he wasn't exactly lean and mean, was he? Let's be honest. But, he, you know, he'd, he'd, had a, he'd had a pretty good international career for the Man City fans kind of... He was almost like a bit of a cult hero. He was in, he was in the, yeah. the ballpark of like a Sean Goater or something up there where he, he wasn't necessarily the best player, but they seemed to have an affinity with him for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, he, he was sort of, he was unlucky to sort of be shown the door at City because that was the time when City had just got taken over and they were looking to be brand Man City around the world. And their chief executive at the time, Gary Cook, said, China and India are gagging for football content and we're going to tell them that City is the content. We need a superstar. Richard Dunn just doesn't roll off the tongue in Beijing, so he was. Would, a- would that have been around when they bought like Rubinho and, and these sorts of players? It was when they yeah. were buying these the, the first wave of you know it wasn't quite the superstars. Then wasn't it? They hadn't, they hadn't been bought by the Sheikh, wasn't it? That uh, Shinawatra or whatever his name was. Yeah, was when they had the Chinese had- owner, wasn't it under Sven? Mm-hmm. Um, they were probably wanting, wanting to protect their investments. They didn't want uh, Richard Dunn tackling anywhere near Rubinho in training. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he still holds the Premier League record, doesn't he, for the most amount of of times he's being sent off and also holds the Premier League record for own goals, which is fantastic. Yeah, which I mean makes him a cult hero in my book. He's just, he's a, he's a, uh, you know, an an own goals and gaffes wet dream. 
I mean, he was he was an own goal specialist. Uh, that probably doesn't, you know, that, that that's Premier League goals. Probably another twenty five in cups as well. <laughs> he just had that sort of clumsy, not particularly subtle. I think would be the way to put it. He was very much a crash bang wallop defender who you know, put his head on the line and all that sort of stuff. But he on his day, could stop anybody. I mean, oh, he yeah, was yeah. he could be really immense. This no, yeah, was the could. thing. It, it was, but you've got like you know, you look at Paul McGrath. And uh, it's a different kettle of fish, but it's there is that thing where it's uh, you know when I'm saying cult hero, but Paul McGrath didn't have the weaknesses. I mean, apart from you know, he obviously had a problem with alcohol, and Dunn, you know, he, he liked to drink as well. I mean, Paul McGrath, you wouldn't know he's an alcoholic necessarily watching him, but Richard Dunn, it was like <laughs> guaranteed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but that was part of it, the charm of him. It was like he couldn't be asked, and yeah, he was a, to me. He was a very frustrating figure because he had, you know, a, a colossus performance on him every now and again. There was a famous uh, game he played for Ireland against Russia, where even McGrath said it was the best performance he'd ever seen from a centre yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. So that that was in him. It's just. Um, consistency didn't just it didn't happen for him i think that might come with maybe professionalism off off the pitch in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, he's still in that era where they like to you know knock a few beers back but if he was uh where you know i'm I'm not saying this is a good thing but like a robot and doing the whole kind of uh professional athlete uh approach that might have paid off on the pitch would be one explanation i would offer up but ultimately it was kind of drinking discipline issues that made you know started his downfall at villa was it not apparently so yeah him and him and collins got into trouble didn't they and i know when when obviously o'neill left he didn't have the best relationship with julio to say the least um i know richard dunn pretty much despised julio didn't he because i think dunn was playing in that game in i believe it was paris when Henri scored the handball goal that knocked yeah. ireland out of the world cup qualifying and uh and Julio must have obviously seen him after the game with a smug smile and then he just hated him ever since, apparently. And um, he, ha- he seemed to hold a real grudge over that incident with, with Julio. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. And... Um, and then obviously that there were I think there were there was a couple of incidents with him and Collins getting into a bit of trouble together for their off field antics and there was other things that never made uh, yeah never made the press. I mean, for example, uh, remember under McLeish where we were playing Bolton at home. Oh, that was an awful night. Yeah, when it when it turned that t- and it was really toxic, didn't it that night? But it was an important game. It was like one we had to win and we went 1-0 up and then within a blink of an eye we were 2-1 down and, and that's when the Hulk turned against him. Well, as uh, most uh, listeners will know that there's a 48-hour kind of curfew on drinking before games and uh, I got a tip off from somebody who was actually working the event at Richard Dunn's house in his back garden <laughs> that allegedly his uh, girlfriend, wife at the time, I can't remember if it's wife or it was her 30th. And uh, I got a tip off and this was bef- within the curfew of like 48 hours that uh, let's say him and uh, a few Villa players who were also invited were knocking back a few brewskis at that. And, when you consider how important that game against Bolton was, you can kind of see how, uh, you know, like you know, in Alex McLeish's position, uh, when it's going against you, it's going against you. And, you've, you know, even your players aren't, you know, taking it seriously. And uh, which, as a supporter, you, you're going to be a bit pissed off at because actually it's the fate of the club that they're also pissing on as well and getting paid very handsomely to do it. So, Dunn, where is he now? He's living in Monte Carlo with his family. Is he? <laughs> Very nice. 
Yeah, he's just got <laughs> <it> in <laughs> my estimation of him. <laughs> but laughing. he does, he does do a, a regular uh, column for the Irish Independent. So he's sort of he's dipping his toe in punditry. Oh. I remember he he buggered off to QPR, did he not? And that yeah, was he a, finished his career there, didn't he? I think that was when QPR were just were throwing money at anybody, weren't they? Yeah, we just this is the start of them going out of business, basically, wasn't it? When they yeah. had, was it Basingua on Mega Books and. Adele Tarapt and all these people. That, Samba uh, as well. Yeah, Harry Redknapp wanted to buy and just went ballistic with this yeah. tiny little club. Yeah, if he goes for a jog, he might get a he might get a call from Fulham before the end of the week. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, so make sure you subscribe to the Irish Independent to uh, <laughs> read uh, Richard Dunn's uh, beautiful prose. I think we're giving him giving him a hard time here. Uh, when he was at the club, I he was actually performing better than my expectations. I mean, I would have never bought him in the first place, but on his day, he was a he was a very good centre-back. It's just that you couldn't trust him. And his fitness record went down the pan, didn't it, towards the end of his, his Villa career, unfortunately, as he got older. Yeah. Well, all these things relate. You know, he's off, off yeah. the field, uh, indulgences, etc. You know, it never helps uh, the on-the-field on stuff and the general fitness. So Richard Dunn at Villa, I th- it's a tough one because... He actually did all right under O'Neill, I thought. That first, if you did it just off the nine oh nine ten season, you'd you'd say it was great. But then you know how it career declined at Villa, sort of sours it somewhat. Yeah, underrated or overrated? Overrated. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go overrated as well because if you have the potential and you to put in some of the one-off performances that he did, and you don't carry it through to that level, then no, yeah, I'm going overrated. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're if you're making the team of the season in your first year, and as as we've said, putting in the performances we did, and being a centre back that is, you know, part of a good unit there that's pushing to try and be in the top four, and then to suddenly go down and down and down, and I, th- I just think something's lacking. Pull the trigger. Yeah, I'm going to go overrated. Right, uh, there you go. Richard Dunn, overrated at Villa. Right, it's time to move on. Uh, we're, we're now, uh, as we uh, mentioned earlier on in the show, the season's starting to warm up a little. Uh, it's because we had that belated start. It doesn't feel like we're kind of rocking and rolling just yet. But now the games start to come thick and fast. And uh, I'm looking forward to Liverpool-Leeds. I think that's where the uh, the fire starts to burn uh, this season will will certainly warm up from there. Right, please do uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, generally, uh, I mean, we're very tired, uh, I must admit, recording this one. But please do, uh, on social media, leave your comments or, uh, you know, join in on any of the talking points that we said. And don't forget to retweet it if you see it on Twitter to uh, help get the word out and mention it to your like-minded buddies who may be uh, stuck in isolation due to this... Uh, Villa Park depriving pandemic. Uh, you can follow the show on all good uh, podcast apps uh, and especially on uh, Apple, Spotify. It's on Amazon Music as well. And don't forget uh, the best way to uh, help the uh, My Old Man Said podcast is to become a patron and also uh, to get closer to the show, do join us in Match Club as well. Right. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me at this uh, midnight hour as per usual. And until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.